You're tuned into Riel's Events Podcast. We're a business podcast all about elevating boring events to enchanting experiences for your corporation, nonprofit organization, or small business. I'm your host, Riel Jones. Each week, I'll interview a major donor, sponsor, or influencer from across America. They'll share their philanthropic journey as well as insights on how to elevate your events based off their experiences either as a guest or participant in corporate events in the past. I am so excited to continue this week's theme of verbal communication with our interview guest, Ned Stabler. If you want to find more information about verbal communication and how it pertains to your event planning, please visit our website, www.realevents.com forward slash Riel's Events Podcast. There you can find a worksheet specifically on verbal communication and this week's theme. Also, please use our handle at Riel underscore events, R-I-E-L-L-E underscore E-V-E-N-T-S to continue this conversation with us, letting us know what you received and got from this interview um, in this week and also what you would like for us to talk about more in the future. Please keep in mind that this week's podcast really serves as an introduction to verbal communication. In the future, we'll continue this theme and looking at it in different aspects. Now let's get into it. Ned Stabler is a native Detroiter. He graduated from the University of Detroit High School. Then he went to Harvard University, receiving his Bachelor of Arts in Business. Then he spent three years as senior trader at Helio, a technology-based startup, Financial Services. Following that, he became the Director of Capital Markets Development for Michigan Economic Development Corporation. He served as director for two years and four months before being promoted to the Vice President of Entrepreneurial and Corporate Services. For three years, he oversaw the Michigan Strategic Fund Board and the 21st Century Jobs Fund, which was a $2 billion, 10-year initiative to improve and boost Michigan's economy. Following that, he became the Vice President of Economic Development for Wayne State University starting in 2011. And to put this into context, Wayne State University generates and has an impact of a $2.5 billion annual economic impact in Greater Detroit. In 2015, as if being the Vice President of Economic Development wasn't enough, he was asked to become the President and CEO of TechTown, an accelerator and incubator for businesses here in the greater Detroit area. From 2007 to 2014, TechTown raised approximately $107 million in capital and contributed to over 1,190 jobs to the greater Detroit area. Like I said before, Ned Stabler, especially in this position as president and CEO of TechTown, has to be great at articulating the purpose of TechTown to the local communities and how they can participate in the initiatives that they have, as well as different corporate um, and major influencers across Michigan who might want to invest and be a part of this and also want to see how they can positively help um, grow Michigan's economy, especially in the Southeast region. Please, again, let me know what you think about this week's episode. I hope you all enjoy. Also that 
you are the vice president of economic development from Wayne State University. Right. Which um, to me is also another marvel because before coming here, honestly, I did not know a lot about Wayne State. Um, and now when I see green and yellow, I don't think about like Green Bay or whatever. No. I definitely think about Wayne State. Like yeah. that's the only thing. I'm like, who? <laughs> yeah. who else is out there? But I think that it also, um, I've gone to a lot of really great um, events that were led by the students or led by the faculty that really show like um, the diversity in interests and thoughts and just like the people at your school, mm-hmm. which is really um, powerful because I've gone to a lot of events in different colleges and it just, they all kind of blend together, but <laughs> that's not, sure. that's not really um, what you see there. But while you were, um, before that, you were the VP of Entrepreneurial and Capital Services at sure. Michigan Economic Development. Right. And um, impressively, you had, you were over a 10 year initiative that had a $2 billion Fund, yeah, the 21st or, Century Jobs Fund was a 10-year, $2 billion initiative to help transition the state's economy. Yeah, yeah. so can you, te- well, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I think that's really interesting. And I think that um, from what I could tell, it started your career of what you're doing now. In economic development, yeah. So in before that, I was in the private sector for about a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, but the first transition I have into the public sector was working at MEDC. MEDC is the state's economic development agency, mm-hmm. and we were tasked with growing the per capita income and gross state product of the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. How do we uh, create more jobs, more opportunity, more business growth here in the state? Uh, one of the ways we did it was through the 21st Century Jobs Fund, which was a program uh, that started back in about 2005, 2006 timeframe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was uh, uh, designed to move, help move us, you know, from our previous economy, which mm-hmm. is, was largely based around traditional manufacturing jobs, mm-hmm. into a more sort of 21st century, hence the name 21st Century Jobs Fund, uh, uh, set of technology-based jobs. Um, you know, that said, we built off our strengths, so we worked with advanced uh, manufacturing uh, focus for a lot of it, but also alternative energy, a lot of IT focus, and some life sciences as well, because we have companies here like Stryker, and we mm-hmm. have great research institutions like Wayne State and U of M and Michigan State, and uh, you know there are folks that are doing uh, uh, a lot of things in the healthcare sector as well. So um, yeah, so we did that, uh, and then the state continues to move in that direction. We helped build a venture capital industry here in the state. Uh, we helped uh, grow lots of entrepreneurial ecosystem resources like TechTown mm-hmm. uh, here in the state during that time frame. But there's something all over the state, really, not just here in Detroit, um, and uh, helped a lot of startup companies as well. And uh, speaking of Tech Town, can you speak a little bit about the location um, we're in and mm-hmm. why you chose this area and also like the history because I think that it also symbolizes a lot for local Detroiters. Sure. So uh, the building was originally built uh, in 1927 by Albert Kahn, who was the designer. He's a famous architect, uh, did a lot of the, the buildings in Detroit, like the, the Fisher Building that, mm-hmm. that everybody knows. and, and uh, uh, Cadillac Place, which was the old General Motors World Headquarters right up on the boulevard. Um, and uh, he built this building as well. It was General Motors building originally. Uh, it went through many uh, lives as a General Motors building, but at one point it was the Chrysler, I'm sorry, the uh, Chevrolet Creative Services building. Really? Uh, and it's actually where the Corvette was designed. So there's a ramp in the back corner of the building where you can drive a car all the way up to the fifth floor and the, presumably yeah. the first you know, 
demonstration Corvette must have gone up and down that ramp. I actually have a 3D printed Corvette in my office right now. It's sort of a memento of the, the heritage. And we call upon that creative spirit here a lot. Right. Um, we are located just south of the boulevard, just north of I-94. So just south of, uh, you know, the new center, old General Motors headquarters area, yeah. um, and just north of Wayne State, yeah. sort of in between. Um, why we were chosen here, yeah. chosen to be here, I mean, honestly, I mean, I could give you the, the answer is, well, we're right next to Henry Ford's road headquarters and, and adjacent to the university, so it's a good place for uh, synergies between right. the <laughs> private sector and academia. The reality, General Motors gave us the building. Okay. So okay. <laughs> General Motors gave us this uh, big empty building uh, that had no parking and, mm -hmm. and needed to get completely renovated mm -hmm. uh, uh, about 16 years ago, and we've been building it out ever since into what it is today. But now more intentionally, we've been building a, a, a uh, innovation hub around this area. So Next Energy, which is a uh, incubator, accelerator, and uh, research facility, uh, in the energy space, now moving into advanced mobility solutions uh, um, and built environment uh, uh, is right across the street. Mm -hmm. On the other side, Wayne State just invested $94 million into a, a beautiful uh, integrative uh, uh, sciences research building um, called iBio. Um, and it's another old Albert Con building mm -hmm. with an addition built on, but they renovated this beautiful building there. Uh, and nowadays really cutting edge research labs and, and facilities. Um, so this is turning into a bit of a hub uh, for uh, for Detroit. Mm -hmm. And what do you think that this means for the local Detroit? I mean, I know for like the when you say students, this is really um, exciting and it's um, new opportunities for them. But I think that um, talking to people in the area, area it also means something yeah. deeper to them. So and Tech Town is, is is affiliated with the university, but we're not only part of the university. So I happen to be an employee of both. Mm -hmm. uh, my predecessor here at TechTown was not an employee of Wayne State. Okay. She was just a TechTown employee. And there's reasons to be a co more closely aligned with the university and reasons to not be. Uh, one of the reasons not to be is because we most of our clients are not connected to the university in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So we'll work with 350 to 400 businesses this year. Probably 350 to 400 of those, been all but 10 of those businesses will not be connected to the university. Mm -hmm. uh, they really will be Detroit-based uh, businesses in one way or another. Um, we work with technology businesses, we'll yeah. call Tech Town, we better do that. Right. <laughs> but we also work with non-technology businesses as well. Mm -hmm. 250 or 300 of those businesses this year will be non-technology businesses. They'll be neighborhood uh, lifestyle type businesses. So uh, it'll be restaurants, coffee shops, a uh, wine store, a record shop, a barber shop, you name it. Mm -hmm. uh, retail and light services that go into storefronts in commercial corridors around the city. And there's a few reasons for that. One, there's a demand for it right. here in Detroit. Two, there's the need for it. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, three, uh, we don't think uh, you can have a sustainable recovery in a city of, of 140 square miles unless uh, uh, all 140 square miles get to participate. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can't have seven square mile oasis in the middle of it and think you're going to have sustained prosperity. It just doesn't work that way. Right. Um, so we work out in about six different neighborhoods around the city, helping to strengthen those neighborhoods, providing jobs, opportunities, and importantly, amenities right. in those neighborhoods. Because it's one thing to live in that neighborhood or to move into that neighborhood thinking, oh, I'm not paying all that much to live here. But if I got to drive five miles to get a cup of coffee or do my dry cleaning or you know eat a, eat a sandwich, mm -hmm. um, that's a real problem. Suddenly, you, you might as well go and live in one of those other neighborhoods. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> and I think that's something that um, is the development that we're seeing around Detroit is really amazing. I started coming to Detroit when I was still at Wellesley, and um, 
back then it was I was very new to I didn't have people here so mm -hmm. I was kind of like the public like oh my goodness as soon as you go there something crazy is gonna happen and then um, I didn't see that I saw more so like isolation mm -hmm. um, and not a lot of activity but over the last especially like three or four years you see a lot of bustling and really when I was first introduced to Tech Town a couple people asked me to come here for like um, a evening meeting or something mm -hmm. and it was like creatives who had different ideas but they wanted to or they had a physical location and they wanted to build it out and architects from or developers from around Detroit or the different schools were meeting here to help them out and I'm like this is awesome it's free and it was very much um, a grassroots initiative um, and it's just having the space itself um, and I think that also for a lot of people it shows that what you're doing is of course you're bringing you're continuing the tradition of like manufacturing technology and all of that and taking it to the next level of innovation but you're also believing in this community again and you're saying that, yes, because, I mean, you could go to Gross Point, you could go to Ferndale, you can go to wherever, um, even Inkster outside of Detroit or whatever, mm -hmm. and say, okay, we're going to develop here, but that you're really bringing it back to Detroit means a lot. Well, I always say you can't be a suburb of nothing. Right. Right. If there isn't a strong central core city, then what are you a suburb of? Mm -hmm. Look at successful cities around the country. They have uh, uh, strong, growing central urban cores. Um, in fact, in some ways... They have, I mean, don't get me wrong, they have their own problems, right. um, but they're in some ways a higher class of problems. Like, I, I wish I had their problems as opposed to our problems. Right. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, for decades, Oakland County's strategy was just to pull businesses out of Detroit and to continue to expand northwards, but that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And at some point, things start to collapse back upon themselves because there are reasons why cities exist. Uh, you know, go and read... Uh, uh, Ed Glazer's Triumph of the City, and he goes through the whole history of why cities exist, and it's, uh, you know, to reduce transaction costs as people come together to, to, to more easily and, and economically interact, mm -hmm. right, whether it's to do commerce or just to see each other or to you right. know, socially interact, whatever it is, it's a lot easier if you can walk out your door and down your street, and within a 10-minute walk, you have everything you need and the people you're with and the, that you hang out with and the work your job and all that, that's a lot easier than your car and driving 40 miles or driving for an hour to go 10 miles exactly. in some cities. Right? Exactly. So. And um, I also feel that because I'm literally on East Jefferson by East um, Indian Village. Mm -hmm. And while there's a lot more things out there, I love having Bill Al right beside yeah, me. Great. When I want to go get a fresh bagel, I go back to Gross Point. And for oh. me, that's kind of hard because while there's a lot of progression, a lot of things happening, mm -hmm. it's like the little things like that. Like, oh, I. Well, you're starting to used to have the little market over there, Par uh, Parker Street Market, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, now there's a direct bus to Midtown from there. Really? It just started uh, in the last couple weeks, actually. So there's a nonstop uh, bus that comes down Jefferson, pops up into the, like the West Village somewhere, and yeah. then, then cuts over right into Midtown. It's about 15 minutes or so. Um, so check that out. I can tell you the number, but yeah. I do not remember off the top of my head. I will. I will. And I'm gonna um, transition just a little bit um, to more talking about events, but. I think a lot of people will know you more for what you're doing here and um, you're like job wise, like career wise, like sure. what you're doing. But I don't know if they know that you sit on so many boards mm. and you're very active, <laughs> which is like, how can you find the time? I'm a lazy Detroiter, man. I only have two jobs, uh, <laughs> right. uh, business and a side hustle. So I'm, I'm in Detroit, I'm lazy, but it's tiring, <laughs> man. It's a lot of work. And so um, it's funny because literally um, reading the different articles, about you and over the different years, the, one of the Wayne State University presidents 
before you came on board said like one of the great things about you not only do you know business and whatnot but you also have really great relationships with people and you mm-hmm. nurture that and I think that that's really significant because all the things someone could say about you the fact that you have the quality to really not just be personable not like oh mm-hmm. he's charismatic and people mm-hmm. like him yeah but he can really nurture this and like the fact that even you're saying you go to this six different neighborhoods and stuff like that you're reaching across not just a lot of different communities and bridges and stuff yeah. like that and I don't know that I don't know if it's self awareness or what it is that helps you be able to do that, but that's a very special and rare gift. I don't know about the gift. I think like anything else in the world, it's it's a it's a it's a trait. It's something that uh, it's a skill. It's something you work on. Yeah. You know, I grew up in the northwest side of Detroit, uh, uh, and um, in a very diverse culture. I mean, I was one of three white kids in my elementary school. Okay. So you very quickly uh, get a different experience saying better or worse right, than it, right. but it's a different experience than someone who maybe grew up in West Bloomfield. Right. Um, and, you know, growing up here in the city uh, where race is a huge issue and it always will be, mm-hmm. um, most white people are very uncomfortable talking about race. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not, but I've had a lot of practice at trying to overcome the right. comfort, discomfort talking right. about it. Uh, and I think that helps me bridge some divides. I, I mean, I've been working in this, these roles now for you're on six years and, uh, you know, a constant, uh, thing I still have to overcome occasionally is someone I'm working with in a neighborhood or something says, well, you're not a real Detroiter or, you know, you, you know, you're the middle-aged white dude from the suburbs, right? Yeah. So I live in Ann Arbor now, I mean, yeah, full exposure, yeah. but, um, for me to be able to say, well, yeah, I went to elementary school at Cass and Peterborough. How about you? Right. You know, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> um, and they suddenly you it turns out they just got here ten years ago. You buy a lot of credibility when you say right. I went to Detroit Public Schools and you know this is my home. I was born in that building right there. I can point literally in a lot of my meetings I can point to the building I was born in. Right. Which is it, it, it allows you to, to to have those kind of conversations with people because relationships are where it all is. Yeah. And can I just say something? Yeah. This is something that you wouldn't like have any idea about. But I was in a group of um it was a it was a meeting and it was a group of entrepreneurs in Detroit and it was like local women. Well, and, why wouldn't I know anything about that? Right, oh, right. <laughs> and you know, they were coming together and they were talking about kind of their journeys here, what they yeah. need and stuff like that. But then um, you kind of came up um, with Tech Town and then um, she mostly came up mm-hmm. and it was one person was like like who are these people and like. Also, as a, I'm an outsider, so like whenever people's names come yeah, up yeah, and stuff like yeah. that, you're like okay, who is this? Your ears perk out like. You know, especially when a lot of people react and stuff like that. And um, so people deemed her as, like, the unofficial mayor of Midtown. That's true, yeah. And, um, as, and so, like, one person was wanting to say, like, you know, like you were saying, like, oh, these are outsiders. And everybody was like, no. Mm-hmm. They've been here since day one. Like, you know, they've done all these initiatives when no one was looking. They spent all these long hours here. You know, they really care about all the businesses that they help and nurture mm-hmm. and their relationships and even when you're not in the room to say, like, hey, I went and I was, like, you know, went to the school, you have people around the area that, like, as soon as, like, I'm just sitting there, like, I don't know these people personally. Well, I'm glad (laughs) to hear that because, you know, Sue's been here for 30 years, Mm -hmm. you know, working, as as whoever this was said, when no one gave her any attention, Mm -hmm. she's been uh, eyes on the prize following the North Star for 30 years Mm -hmm. when it was her and two other people in the basement office of one of her old office, uh, old buildings down on Cass and now I mean now she's got a team of 20 people and a beautiful glass front storefront on Woodward mm-hmm. but that didn't happen in 
20 minutes. No one gave her that. That was 30 years of hard, dedicated, thankless work before she became the mayor of Midtown. Um, you know, so she deserves it. And I'll tell you, she's a, an inspiration to me. Uh, there are days, anyone who, who does work in this space will have days when they feel like, oh my God, I took one step forward and five steps back. Yeah. You know? And you drive past a neighborhood you've been working in or that you grew up in or you care a lot about it. You see a burned out building or you see a, you know, a, an empty lot that's used to be X, Y, or Z where you went to mm -hmm. uh, get ice cream when you were kid, whatever it is. And you want to cry. You want to drive home and you want to go back to a suburb or a different city right. where it might be easier. And what my always go to, uh, basically suck it up cupcakes who Mosey's been doing this for 30 years <laughs> I think you can handle it for a couple more get right, up so, right 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 yeah. and so um nonprofits that are listening or corporations that are listening who might um are thinking about growing or investing in areas what do you think um how could you explain the importance of building relationships and um, how do you do that? Like, how do you start doing that? If that's because yeah. business all, school, that's not the first thing they teach. No, they don't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we joke that business school is a chance for you to go and like so network and mm -hmm. socialize for a couple of years because there's not a lot of real work. But there isn't a formal process to learn how to do that. And you know, my my advice on it is first be intentional. Mm -hmm. If that's what you want to do, like anything else, if you wanted to learn to play the piano or shoot, you know, baskets or mm -hmm. learn a French, whatever it is. You'd get intentional. You're like, okay, I have set my mind. I'm going to do this. Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to take classes or I'm going to go to practice or, you know, three hours a week, I'm going to do whatever, right? Right. It's the same thing for building relationships. If you want to build relationships, be intentional about it, decide to do it, and then figure out a plan on how to do it. Okay. Every week, I'm going to invite one person I don't know up to lunch, exactly. right? And buy them a cup of coffee or buy them lunch or whatever it is and, and ask them questions about themselves and listen mm -hmm. to their answers. Don't tell them, don't, don't think about it. It's a job interview. You don't try to impress them. Mm -hmm. Just meet, talk, whatever. My wife jokes with me that my job is to meet and greet. Mm -hmm. Like that's all you do all day is have coffees and have yeah. meetings. And it's true. Mostly I, you know, for, for eight hours a day, I have meetings with people where I promise to do things for them. Right. And then at five o'clock, I go back to my office and start doing some of the right. things I said I would do, <laughs> making introductions. Mm -hmm. So you talked about going before, about going between communities. Right. Connectivity is the most important thing you can bring uh, to an environment because most people don't. Most people live in one world. Right. They live in a, a world around uh, their social life, mm -hmm. their economic life, mm -hmm. their work life, whatever it is. They kind of have a so you know one sort of circle right. that they play in. Um, the ability to transcend circles and and to connect circles. So you're in one circle and say you know you got to meet this person from this other circle is a, is a uh, important quality. Mm -hmm. So offering, whenever you see an opportunity to, when you're having lunch or coffee with one of these people to say, you know, let me introduce you to my friend, my colleague, my boss, my whatever, mm -hmm. because he's working on something similar, or he might give you some advice about how to do this. So that's an important one. Yeah. Secondly, if you're going to try to build relationships in, in a circle that you don't have connections with, mm -hmm. A, you got to be intentional. B, you have to understand you don't know anything about it. Right. You're wrong. If you show up, even with you have like three great ideas to help some community or some project or some neighborhood, mm -hmm. don't show up and say, I've got three ideas. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Show up in the neighborhood and say, um, what do you want? Mm -hmm. yes. What are you working on that perhaps I could help with? Not, I've got a project that I think would help you. What do you think about it? Even that, because you think you're getting feedback and take, no, 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 no. Right. Let them identify the problems. Let them, you know, tell you what's important to them. Um, those are important things for us. And then... Stick to it. If you show up to something, some community, you show up to do something like meeting people and building your network, and three months in you give up, or six months, you burn bridges. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you tell people, oh, yeah, 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 I'm going to connect you to my friend, and then you don't, 
That's most people in this world. The rare person is the one who actually follows through and does what they said. Right. Just be one of those people. Right. Right. I definitely appreciate that. Um, so what drives you in your career right now? Um, I'm at a point in my career, uh, I'm very fortunate that I'm at a point where I can sort of pick and choose things where I feel like I can have an impact on my community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Detroit, Southeast Michigan, and Michigan are sort of my passions. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I grew up here, uh, lived most of my life here, uh, and I want to leave the world a better place uh, for my kids. Mm -hmm. You know, my kids are the seventh generation of, of my family to live here. Mm -hmm. um, and the way things are going right now, I'm pretty much sure they're not going to live here. You know, they're going to graduate from college and move off to California. Or mm -hmm. The way things are really going, maybe like Australia or New Zealand, um, right, and never right. come back. Right, so, right. Um, my goal is to try and make Michigan the kind of place that they want to be. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely see that with the um, different boards that you sit on. Um, it's it, it's very interesting to because it looks like a blend of. Definitely what you know, but also um, perhaps a little bit of um, personal. So mm -hmm. looking at Next Energy, Midtown Detroit, mm -hmm. the Detroit Historical Society, and then the Ann Ar um, Arbor Local Development Finance Authority. So like yeah. they all have like the economic theme, also the community aspect, yeah. but also like the social, with especially looking at the um, Detroit Historical Society, yeah. which is really interesting. So how do you, I know everybody's waiting for your time and mm -hmm. like, come to my thing, be on my board, be yeah. like whatever. How do you choose the charities that you support um, and whatnot? It's hard. I mean, I also serve on some that aren't on that list. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually not on the Ann Arbor LDFA board anymore. Okay. That ended last year, um, uh, which is just as well. It was, <laughs> it was, it was time. Uh, but I'm also on the Planned Parenthood uh, board um, wow. uh, because, you know, it's something that's really important and more so now than ever, frankly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I've been on... You're right. Uh, I have a limited amount of time, and I've been on other boards like things like the League of Conservation Voters and the Mish Bio, and it's a mix. Some are for work, mm -hmm. and those it's a little easier because I can do those during work hours, mm -hmm. right? So Next Energy, for example, it's across the street from us. They're a partner on many, many things. So being on their board, I had a meeting there this morning. I can do it during work time, and it's a part of my role here at mm -hmm. Techtown in Wayne State. Um, things like Planned Parenthood, not part of my work. Right. I do that. I have to do that outside. So I limit those non-work ones to usually one, maybe two at a time. Mm -hmm. uh, the Historical Society kind of fits into both worlds. Yeah. Uh, they're in the neighborhood, so I can mm -hmm. kind of do it with a Wayne State hat on and not feel bad about it. But it is really a pers more personal kind of goal. Um, but that's what it is. And I have a lot of staff uh, that are looking to get more engaged locally. Right. And that's what we talk about all the time. And I say, get on a board, get in, you know. But, but be careful. If you're going to be on a board, be the kind of person who's on a board actually doing stuff. Yes. Not the kind who's on a board to be on a board. Right. Just name only. Yeah. So don't be on 20 boards. Try to be on two or three. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I just named, you named a bunch of ones that I'm on. Right. Sometimes right. I'm the worst board member on that board, <laughs> right? Uh, some of them, the ones I'm really passionate about, it's easier to, to be a better board member. So how does someone engage you so that you really can become very passionate? Because everybody has a great mission, a great vision yeah. for what they want to do, but how do they grab you? Um, I mean, you want me to tell you what they usually do or what would work? Either way, either way. <laughs> what they usually do is they say, let's grab lunch or coffee or something, and they say, hey, we're trying to raise money or we're trying to get into this, and you know people in that field. Mm -hmm. How could What's a good strategy for connecting with the foundation community or yeah. getting in with hospital folks? I mean, it depends on what they're yeah. You know, or Detroit, a lot of people want me for Detroit business people. We yeah. want to better our connections with that with that group. And I'm happy to give them 
buy ideas, who they should talk to, make a few introductions. And then they usually say, you know, we're always looking for good board members. Would you be interested? And unless I'm really committed to the organization, I usually say, Hey, I'm really busy right now. Thank you. I'll, you know, yeah. if I drop off something, I'll, I'll, I'll it's so impersonal. Like I want to cringe at that. Like, str- like even as an organization, that strategy, like it's so impersonal is but, clearly I'm using you for this one thing. And anyways, I'm sorry. Yeah. But I mean, the good, I mean, the, these are people doing exactly what I talked about in the beginning, right? Yeah. They're, they're trying to build a network and connect. Yeah. And yeah, if you're going to do it better, you probably do it over the course of a couple of months and right. you reconnect on a thing or two and, and, and you invite them to an event. Hey, we're having an event next month. Why don't you come as my guest? Mm-hmm. You know, I do that frequently here all the time. I don't usually ask someone on the first date, right. uh, do you want to be on my board? <laughs> right. I usually uh, give it a couple, uh, two, three, and try to bring them to some events, get them to maybe sponsor something, or if, it, if it's a work relationship that we have, get them to, to do a work thing here and see the value that we bring mm-hmm. before you ask them to be a champion and an evangelist for you by being on your board. But right. it's just, you know, Sometimes asking people on things on you know go out with you walk up to uh, a girl or a guy you see on the street and just ask them and it works. Right, right. Sometimes right. they say no and you got to ask twenty more times. Right, 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 right. right. So there's no right answer. Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's instant chemistry. Right, and so um, I know you go to a lot of events and mm-hmm. we I assume that most of the listeners can do the basic event planning of okay let's get food here and mm-hmm. then but like how do they elevate their event? Like as someone who goes to a lot of them, you probably, if they all blend together, mm-hmm. you don't know which organization you went to, you know, support last week. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's a lot of that. Yeah. So how do they, and this is something that I see a lot. And in my mind, I'm like, clearly you could do this, you could do that. But as someone who goes to a lot and perhaps you're not an event planner, what do you see as opportunities? I'll tell you, I met someone once a long time ago. I don't remember where, whose job was to be the event planner mm. for the American Society of Event Planners. Mm. Oh, all I can think was that'd be the worst job in history, <laughs> right? Because you're having your annual conference with like 300 right. people all walking around going, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong. Why did you do that? Oh, I can do it better, you know? Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I go to a lot of events and we put on a lot of events. Mm-hmm. And I think... Good events that I go to are ones that they know what the event's for. Right. It's for, we're celebrating awardees. Right. Great. And that's the focus. We're raising money, mm-hmm. right? Or we're just friend raising, trying to get people more engaged. If you know what the event is, if you're trying to be all things to all people, and we do this, we do an annual event mm-hmm. and we struggle in, with it every year because we're going to have three or 400 of our constituents right. in, stakeholders, right? Right. Funders clients, uh, partners, you know, all these different people in the community, elected officials, they, yep. you know, they're all going to come and we're trying to do something for all of them. Mm-hmm. And my, my, our, our experience has been, we're not very good at yeah. that when we try to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to try it again this year in a weird way to, to do something for mm-hmm. everybody. I don't know. At some point, I think you just have to do what, you know, what you're good at, you know, and then break it up. So for example, we were trying to do get high net worths in the door and then try to hit them up for money in a way that was different from the clients that Mm -hmm. were there or our institutional funders that were there. Right. Right. And at some point I said, you know what, forget that. Let's just have a breakfast two Mm -hmm. months from now. We'll invite them and and tailor something specifically to them as opposed to also trying to give awards and also trying to recognize our sponsors and all that other stuff. Right, right. So you just hit on two really major things that I talk to a lot of clients about. So not only do I do a lot of event planning and like event management, but I also help nonprofits and different corporations create event strategies for the mm-hmm. year. 
and it's especially the major events so that first you start with like their donor persona who really who are we really targeting mm-hmm. you, you've mentioned a lot of different people but also um what's bringing them to this mm-hmm. group and overall you can start to see like the different patterns of why people are supporting you bringing in your mission and vision of yourself mm-hmm. and why we're bringing them together not just okay it's december a lot of people give in <laughs> december which is yeah. like beware strategy and also like if i could shake people i would say don't do your event in december because not only will it blend they have a lot of op- other op- competition mm-hmm. but people are looking for great things to do in march and april or like right before taxes and they didn't spend all the money and they mm-hmm. wanted another write-off but of course as an organization you're not going to promote it you're not going to highlight yeah, yeah, yeah. but like there's another opportunity it's not december is not the only giving it's almost like whenever i work with like african-american organizations they want to do everything in february like february does not have to be the month to oh, do it all the month? yeah because oh, like, okay. so every lunch <laughs> they do it every conference every like right, right, right. discussion and it's like you can have an emotion and someone says no but february's right there we yeah, have to do it and then it's just it's just too saturated a lot of times and so like you definitely need to know who you're bringing in and a lot of times like as an outsider it is really helpful because i could talk to the board i could talk to the leadership and then mm-hmm. i could talk to regular like the employees that are helping make this vision possible and like who are really talking to the donors or the sponsors every day or even like the people who are doing your catering and um kind of like your brit like your bridge to the different people like mm-hmm. i get to be a bridge and yeah. say like this is the feedback that i'm getting and this is really the aspects that make you unique so that it's not bleeding into other events. And so, so far in my career, early on when I started doing events on my own, a lot of organizations were like, we'll see how much like legitimacy mm-hmm. this has so that they will give me a little bit of money and say like, we'll invite whomever we have, but consistently I would like have six times the um, return, like just not even like awareness, but just the money that they were raised mm-hmm. at these events without, um, having more like a bigger team without having more mm-hmm. resources and it's because like i got to really capture who they were who was going to be in the room mm-hmm. and then strategize around it and create a plan so like i think you hit on a lot that mm-hmm. nonprofits don't really think about because you get into or organizations because you get in the, mo- the goal mode like yeah. we have to start planning and then this, the next day after the major event and then you're playing again mm-hmm. i have just a couple more questions yeah, because sure. i know you're really busy and so my full name is Gabrielle, and growing up, everybody called me Gabby mm-hmm. because I talk so much. So I'll be, yeah. I'll try to like wrap it up. Um, but I, you just hit on so many things that I really think that guests would like. Um, what are common faux pas that you notice when you go to major events? Mm-hmm. And these might be things that people say, well, they know we're an organization or we're starting off. Like they'll forgive us for this. Yeah. Fill in the blank. Common faux pas. Um, I'll say one thing that we did last year that, that, that I wasn't happy with was we had name tags, but the names were so little you couldn't read them. You had to like put your head down next to somebody's chest to right. like, read the name <laughs> tag. Uh, you know, people started doing the first name in really big letters. Yeah. I think that's, that makes sense. Uh, common faux pas, common faux pas. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think you, you said one already. There's busy times a year, mm-hmm. and I think people tend to, for a variety of reasons, there's a good reason to do it in February, for right. example, but right. if everybody's doing February, uh, that's one of my big pet peeves, is that May this year for us is Startup Week, Entrepreneurship Week, yes. Tech Week, yeah. Hack Week, 
this week, that week. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. The whole month of May, right. starting from the last week of April to the first week in June, is we have three events a week going on, and oh my god, it's crazy. So, uh, and then we, uh, our big annual event the last two years has been coincided with the nights for other events mm. around town. Not that we didn't call everyone in town and say, are you doing anything? Are you doing anything? Are you doing anything? We're thinking of doing something this day. Right. But even so, so maybe that can, sec the first year was our fault. The second year was their fault. Right. Because we called them. They said no. They were on a Saturday. So we, we even switched to a Thursday just in case, figuring there's no way they would do go from a Saturday night to a Thursday night. Right. They switched to a Thursday. <laughs> anyway, I mean, that was their fault. But that's right. a faux pas. Because you want to know who you're, who, who's coming right. and make it easier for them. Don't do it the same night. There's going to be three other things or the same week. There's three other things. Cause we got families, we got, you know, burnout. Mm -hmm. You can only write so many checks. Exactly. You want to space it out a little bit. Right. And you also don't want to feel like if it's like having friends and you're choosing one friend on the, over the other, right. like you really want to support everyone. And, mm -hmm. um, also a lot of times you could have the same circle of people yeah. And you're looking, and it's just natural. You go to an event and you're looking for people that you know, and it's like, oh, well, they didn't come this year. Why did mm -hmm. they come? And you don't want those signals. And one thing for me that I talk about a lot is the registration experience in the table, mm -hmm. because like, like just like you said, we're all coming from a lot of different things. So for like 13 years, I was a nanny. So mm -hmm. I was like, I was there right before the busy, you know, event, like all the prep, and then right after. And seeing, like, the parents or, like, even myself being a guest and working, and I'm like, there's a lot that happens in a day. And then, like, whatever reason you're at this event, you want to enjoy it, but the human part of you has all the stuff there. Right. When you get to registration table, it's kind of like going into Disney where it's taking you to another world of enchantment and it kind of <laughs> starts so new. That's a good point. You know, yeah. and so the flow should be really, like, everybody should know what they're doing yeah. and this is where you're going next, this is where you take the coast. So, like, even if I'm not a part of this community, I'm not like fumbling around and trying to figure out what that's do a, I do. That's a real good point. A lot of places, and we've struggled with this, uh, they don't train their staff or whoever's volunteering yeah. for an event well enough. So when people show up, they don't know why there's a bunch of people set up over there. Well, those are our clients in a right. marketplace. You need to train your greeters at the door to explain things to people. Well, you get your name tag here. Yes. You just have the drinks are over there and yes. over there and over there. Right. <laughs> right. You want to make it really easy for them. And, you know, so when you walk in, you instantly are put at ease and you're not, okay, now where do we go? What are we supposed to do? Mm -hmm. I've, st I've stood in line at so many things with someone I know and we're talking, all right, right. Now, what, now what do we do? I don't know. Right. So the food's <laughs> over there. Let's go over there. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, you're right. You want to be, you want to be helpful with people. Right. And, um, and then I have just one more question, but mm -hmm. tagging on to that, when people don't know what to do and like you said, we go, I'm someone, when I'm at major events and I don't know people, I can become a wallflower. And so, mm -hmm. like, I have personal things that I do, whether I wear my hair out and it makes people kind of come to me to talk really? to me. Or I wear <laughs> I bright colors. That. Right. <laughs> or I wear bright colors. So people are like, oh, who is this person? She must have, mm -hmm. like, a big personality and stuff like that. But if that doesn't happen, I go straight to the food and I, like, I, yeah. I'm the anchor to the buffet. But in doing so, whatever the message or mission of the night and why they bring us together mm -hmm. and the cool points that – you know, this year we did X, Y, Z because you donated. I missed all of it. Or mm -hmm. whatever activity that's supposed to, like, further my understanding of this is who this organization is. Mm -hmm. I miss it because I don't know what to do. Right, right. And I go, like you said, to the same points. Okay, where's the drink? And <laughs> where's mm -hmm. food, you know? Um, We're fortunate that we can incorporate our clients, many of whom are food and beverage providers, 
into almost every aspect of an event. Mm. So the awards we give out maybe are made by one of our clients. The, there are, the, the caterer is probably one of our clients. Uh, uh, sometimes the alcohol comes from a client. I mean, it's, it's, and you can have little cards or note thing that tells people that story. Oh, the desserts are from good, yes. good cakes and bakes. Oh, yes. okay. You know, that kind of thing. So yes. that every place, everywhere you look, the message uh, is given, but it doesn't always work that way. Right, right, right. Um, my last question, um, a lot of times we see smaller organizations, and this you can also tie this to your last point, a lot of times we see smaller organizations, they have a tendency of not wanting to spend a lot of money on their mm-hmm. events, and even when they have money allocated from their board, it can say like $10,000, mm-hmm. at the personal aspect, like I never spent $10,000 on an event, like, I don't want to spend any money, and so right. you, when you go there as a guest, it's very fair, you know, um, what would you say to those people who kind of have that fear of spending, um, got to spend money to make money. I mean, that's, that's what they say. I mean, you're a professional. You can probably tell me what the right ratio is, but you know, we started doing our big annual event three years ago and we we raised nothing. We Mm -hmm. raised 30, we, we spent 30. Mm -hmm. Uh, and now we're spending probably closer to 40, but we're raising closer to 150, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. because that first year, no one knows that this is the event to go to. You can't get sponsors. The second year, you get some more sponsors and people, or, or we give away a lot of tickets and people will show up. And the next year, like, oh, I went and like there was 400 people there. I better give them five grand to sponsor. You right, know? right. So you have to build that up. I don't think we'll end up spending too much more going forward because for the size of our event, um, we think it's pretty nice. Right. You walk in and we've got, you know, a lot of the gimmicky type stuff like a, a photo wall. Mm-hmm. You know, we do a, we did a fake red carpet this year, a blue carpet, and we had someone interviewing people on the blue carpet asking nice. about what kind of business they're from. And, yes, you know, yes. instead of what you're wearing, if you, she asked all the guys what they were wearing and the women what businesses they were starting. I love that. Is, you know, those are fun kind of, yes, kind yes. of things, but they don't necessarily cost a lot of money. Right, right. To, to do. Right. So... Um, that's what I would say. The, 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 to the extent you can, like I said, highlight what you do, your clients. Mm-hmm. So if you work with kids, bring the kids. Yes. Have the kids. You believe me. I wish I had kids, man. <laughs> if I, if I, my clients were kids, kids tug at hearts for yes. open their yes. checkbooks well, for go. kids. Oh, there's poor kids now right. reading at the eighth grade level. Here, I'll give you know, right. 100 hours will help five more kids. Great, right? right? right. Uh, bring whatever your work is into your event. Uh, to whatever extent you can. It's a little harder for us because we're businesses, but fortunately, if we're just tech businesses, that'd be boring, right? Because right. you can't have test tubes and computers right. everywhere. <laughs> uh, but having food businesses helps. Uh, so I recommend however you could work that in. Okay. Thank yeah. you so much. And so how can our listeners connect with you online yeah. and continue conversations? TechTownDetroit.org mm-hmm. is, is our website. Come on in. So whether you have a technology business or you want to start a restaurant, a shoe store, anything, you, you name it, come into TechTown. We have open office hours. We will happily listen to your business idea, refer you to resources, find your money, whatever it is that your business needs. That's what TechTown is all about, uh, really, uh, to help any entrepreneur here in the city. So come on by. Perfect. 440 Burroughs. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. to another episode of Reality Events Podcast, presented by Reality Events, LLC. We thank you in advance for rating and commenting on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher about this week's podcast. Let us know what you're thinking about and if we're doing it right in your eyes. Also, by providing feedback, you're really giving us 
extra visibility for other listeners to enjoy our programming and to elevate their engagements. For more event planning tips, inspiration, and assistance, please visit our website, rielevents.com. That's R-I-E-L-L-E-E-V-E-N-T-S.com. Again, we want to give a special thanks to everyone who made this week's episode and podcast possible. Episode research and writing done by Riel Jones of Riel Events in Atlanta, Georgia, and in Southeast Michigan. Our episode guest, Ned Stabler of Tech Town in Detroit, Michigan. Our podcast producer, Mizzle in Atlanta with the Dream State Studios LLC, as well as our music selection by Mizzle and Swaz of Dream State Studios LLC. Please leave us a message using our handles at Riel underscore events, letting us know what you think or leave a comment on SoundCloud. Again, I want to thank you for listening and tuning in. Have a great rest of your day.